Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, beginning at verse 1. The Gospel of Mark, beginning at verse 1. And when you're there, say, I'm there. All right, about two of you are, so I'll, I'll wait a little longer. All right, how about now? You there? All right, good, good, good. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray that God will give us understanding as we seek to see Jesus here in this text. Let's pray. Father, we know that there is no way that we would see Christ in all of his beauty and splendor apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. Without him, these are just words on a page. And sure, we can understand nouns and verbs and adjectives and adverbs, pronouns, prepositions, conjunctions. We could put these things together into sentences and, and paragraphs, but But the words aren't going to jump off the page into the deep recesses of our souls apart from your Holy Spirit. So we pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. May we see Jesus. And having seen him, may we love what we see. We believe that Jesus is worth living for, and we believe that Jesus is indeed worth dying for. Show us again. Show us the one who is the lover of our souls and the joy of every longing heart. We thank you. Lord, in a room of this size, I'm sure there may be some who don't know Christ as Savior, and it wouldn't surprise me if there are even some who enrolled to this institution that have yet to bend their knee to Christ. So, Father, I pray that it would be undeniable that Jesus is who he says he is. May they turn from their sin, and may they repent and believe in the gospel. We ask big things because you're a big God, and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So speak to us, show us Christ, And may his name be lifted high here and among all the nations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What comes to your mind when you hear the word invasion? Perhaps you envision a foreign army storming into a defenseless city on a sneak attack. Maybe you think of a burglar breaking into a home in the middle of the night. Maybe you imagine a virus invading millions of people's bodies, leading to deaths around the world. Maybe you think of an invasion of privacy, as hackers break into a bank account and steal sensitive and personal information. Or maybe you think of an invasion of pests, into your home and into your kitchen, 
which is why we buy products like Raid and Black Flag, because we declare war on those who have invaded into our homes. In these cases, invasion is bad. They stoke our fears and our anxieties. They, they attack our security and our well-being. And in this fallen world, we could wear masks and we can socially distance. We could buy locks and security systems for our homes. We could buy virus and identity theft protection for our computers. We could spend billions of dollars on military forces. And yes, we can even buy bug spray. We can always be vulnerable to invasions in this life. You know, invasion could also be good. Think about that, uh, uh, the invading of, a, of a, a disease into your body, but yet at the same time, a, a surgeon could use invasive surgery in order to remove a tumor and to save your life, Right? Or think about somebody breaking into your home in order to rescue you from a kitchen fire. Or think about someone uh, uh, from Geek Squad, you know, who, who, who would invade your computer in order to remove the files that you need from your computer after it's been infected with a computer virus. Or, or maybe a country that invades, uh, or an army that invades into a country in order to overthrow a cruel and ruthless dictator. You see, invasion can be bad. Invasions could also be good. Invasions are good if they're able to calm your fears and your anxieties. Invasions can be good if, if, if they lead to the ensuring of your well-being. And invasions can be good if they save your lives. The Gospel of Mark is an announcement of an invasion. <laughs> There's an invader who is intruding into each and every one of our lives, and he has intruded into this very world. And, it, and as you could expect, there are some who, who see the sight of an invader and they immediately think something bad is going on here. But that's not what Mark wants to tell you. Mark is here to tell you that this, is, this invasion is a good thing. This is a good invasion. In fact, he says that this invasion is good news. You notice in the beginning of his gospel in chapter 1, it says the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the invader who has come in uh, to our world, and it is good news because he and only he is capable of saving us sinners. Please understand that if you are here in Southeastern, you have been commissioned by our Lord Jesus to go, to go to every neighborhood and every nation with the good news of this invasion, to go and tell the world that there is a Savior. We are in danger. 
We are the ones enslaved to our sin. We are the ones infected from the inside out, from head to toe with this depravity. We are the ones who are under the curse of death. And we are the ones who live in a fallen world where anything bad could and probably will happen to us. But there's good news. The one who is mighty to save has invaded and he alone can save us. I apparently picked the wrong address this morning because y'all are awfully quiet. I'm going to need you to, to work a little bit extra. I know you got the masks on and everything, and that doesn't mean that you get extra quiet. That means you're going to have to exert some energy, all right? So, so I'm going to need you to, to, to pop a vocal cord or something and say amen to me. Could you, could you do that to the scriptures here? Okay, okay, I was just wondering, I was just wondering. I know the snow and cold and all of that, but, but, but let Jesus kind of you know, melt some of the ice off of those hearts over here, okay? All right, so, so we're here talking about Jesus, the one who has come to invade and give us good news. Well, that's good news. Why? Who is he? How do we know that he's able to do all the things that, he, that, that Mark says that he is able to do? How do we know that this gospel is good news? Well, in order to see that, we're going to have to get into this text. Chapter 1, Mark starts right out the gate. Okay? Uh, Matthew begins with, with a story of the genealogy. You know, he wants to show you the family tree to show you where Jesus came from. And that's wonderful. We need that. And we're grateful for Matthew's witness. Luke takes you uh, to the story of Zechariah and, and, and the birth announcement of John the Baptist. And then later on with Mary and the birth announcement uh, of, of our own Messiah. And that's good to start there as well. John, the overachiever, goes all the way back to eternity and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we're grateful for John's witness as well. But Mark starts right out the jump. And he says, we're going to start right in with the ministry. We're going to get there right in the scene of the action. And I love that about Mark. Uh, there's one reason that we're going through Mark this semester, and that's because Mark is quick, right? Mark wastes no time. He's just like, all right, this is what happened, bada-bing, bada-boom. Mark is like the Italian uh, of, the, of, the, of the gospel writers, right? Bada-bing, bada-boom, let's go, let's roll. Time's wasting. Look at what Jesus is, look at what Jesus has done, okay? So we're going to jump right in, buckle up. Let's see what he says here. He's going to show us that Jesus is the good invader. In fact, he is the invading Savior for three reasons here in the first chapter of, of Mark. First off, we're going to see that he is the one perfectly suited to invade and save us because of his confirmation. Okay, look at the beginning. Mark says at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, already he's confirming things about Jesus' identity. He says, first off, Jesus is the Christ. In other words, Jesus is the anointed king. He's the one foretold when the, the prophet went to, da uh, to David in 2 Samuel 7 and said that there would be one who would sit on your throne and his kingdom would rule forever. Now, he's the one who is, who is the rightful heir to the throne of David, the one who will usher in this kingdom, as the prophets would tell us, which is going to be marked by righteousness and justice and peace forever. I don't know about you, but I look at our current present situation and I'm kind of longing for righteousness and justice and peace forever. Is there anybody with me this morning? 
It would be really nice to have a king who could sit on a throne and you know that every word that's going to come out of his mouth is righteous and every word that's going to come out of his mouth is just and he is going to promote peace in the land, not division in the land. It would be really nice to have someone like him. Mark says he has come. He's here. He is already here. That's good news. His name is Jesus. But not only that, but he also says that he is the son of God. You do understand that in order for this king to be this kind of king and this kingdom to be this kind of kingdom, he can't merely be like us. Because I don't know about you, but I know enough about me to know that if I had the keys to this kind of kingdom, oh, I'm wrecking stuff. Right? I mean, you talk about flexing. I am flexing all kinds of ways if I had this kind of power, which is why I don't, right? And that's why you don't either. But this one who is of the very essence of the Father, this one who is, as the creed would say, very God of very God, this one is the only one suitable to have absolute power and to rule an absolute kingdom forever because he has the very heart of God in him because he is God. Who is this Jesus? How can you say these things, Mark? Jesus is the Christ Jesus is the Son of God? Where are you getting this from? Well, there's more to his confirmation. Look at the prophets here in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and this gets kind of weird because he says that Isaiah is writing and then he goes straight over to Exodus 23 and Malachi 3, which just means that, you know, he's a, he's a College of Southeastern student. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. I don't, 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 get, don't be hating or anything. But he said, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. And now he gets into Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. You notice in both of these uh, uh, references here, in verse 2, the messenger will prepare your way. And notice in verse 3, the voice crying in the wilderness will cry out, prepare the way of the Lord. And so the prophets anticipated that before one would come uh, who would bring about this kingdom, there would be a forerunner before him who would announce the coming of his kingdom. What's really cool, though, if you, if you noticed it, did you notice what the prophets called the person who comes after the forerunner? Notice again, the voice of one, verse 3, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of what? The Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. So notice, Mark notices here that he's not just the Christ, he's not just the Son of God, but if he is the Christ and if he is the Son of God, then he must also be the one that the prophets were talking about. He is the Lord. Ah, so who is uh, this one. Well, the guy that he was talking about, the forerunner, John, in verse 4, John appears baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I do have to make this note here because we're Baptists, uh, and, and the note is this, uh, the baptism itself does not produce the forgiveness of sins, okay? You are not forgiven of your sins by means of baptism. No. You are forgiven of your sins by means of repentance. You turn from your sin and you turn to the Lord and you are forgiven of your sins. 
Baptism is the outward declaration of that, the proclamation that I have indeed turned from my sins and I am indeed turning towards the Lord for his forgiveness. And so that's what John was was, was, uh, preaching. He was baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It says all these folks from Judea and Jerusalem were coming out to him and they too were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, he he tells you something about John. John was interesting, okay? Um, um, John was was wearing some strange stuff. See verse 6, he was clothed with camel's hair, all right? He kind of looked like the old, you know, 70s guy with the big fur coat, you know, and everything, just walking around in in the wilderness. It's all hot and everything. What are you doing with camel's hair? I mean, ugh. But that's him. And uh, and he also wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate, he had had, had some struggle meals. Uh, He ate some locusts and wild honey. Do y'all know what struggle meals are? You know, when you say, I'm going to make myself a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but you can't afford two slices of bread, so you take the one slice of bread and put the peanut butter and the jelly on there, fold it up and eat it there. That, that's a struggle meal, all right? You can't even afford two slices of bread and things like that. That's John in the wilderness. Locusts and wild honey and all this. What, what are you doing? Well, he's not just saying this just so we would go, this dude is crazy, but he's also doing this because it shows that he is a prophet like Elijah. Hold your place here real quickly. I want you to go to 2 Kings 1. Keep your finger in Mark 1 and look at 2 Kings 1. In 2 Kings chapter 1, Ahab dies right at the first verse there. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. And Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, and he lay sick. So he sent messengers telling him, Go, inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. Wrong move. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. So Elijah went and did that. The messengers returned to the king. He said to them, why have you returned? They said, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there's no God in Ekron that you're sending uh, to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bread to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And he said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And the king answered, Elijah, right? That nemesis. (laughs) Here's Elijah again. Oh my goodness. He just can't quit. That's Elijah. Why is it important that John looks a whole lot like Elijah? Because in Malachi, the book ends with saying, and this is the last book in the Old Testament, it ends with a declaration that a prophet is going to come in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And he's going to come and he is going to prepare the way for Messiah. 
So here we are in Mark 1, if you go back there, and you see one that the prophets foretold, here he is. What is he going to say? Verse 7, he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's good news. Why is that good news? How many of you guys bathe? Good. Most of you raised your hands. <laughs> oh, goodness. I just put some of y'all on blast there. I'm sorry about that. Um, most of us, uh, generally speaking, bathe, okay? And, uh, and, and when you bathe, did you feel after you came, from, came out of that shower or out of that bath, like you have been forgiven of your sins? Anybody? No? No? You know why? Because you're asking too much of water. Water can't take away your sin. Even the symbolism of baptism, they go and they baptize. You know, they, they could come the next week and say, I, I did it again. Why? Because water can't take away your sin, okay? It is through repentance that your sins are taken away. And how can you get them taken away from you? And how can you have the hope of knowing that there will be a day where sin will never again be marked on your life? You need a better baptism. You need a baptism not just of water, but you need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, there is one that John anticipated who would come, who would not just remove your, your sins in a symbolic way, but he would actually remove your sins in an actual way. And the way that he does so is by putting on you his very righteousness, taking away from you your unrighteousness, sealing you with the Holy Spirit who will transform you from the inside out so that in the last Last day you will stand before him complete and blameless and holy, fully sharing in the glory of God forever. Guess what? John's not that guy. But John knows who that guy is. And John says he is coming and he is mightier than I. Oh, and sure enough, in verse 9, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, notice, immediately he saw. Jesus is looking up, and we get to see what he sees. He saw the heavens torn open. And he saw the Spirit descending like a dove onto him. And he heard a voice in verse 11 from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Oh my goodness, we get a little glimpse, not just of the confirmation of the prophets and not just the confirmation from John, but now we hear and see the confirmation from the Trinity. The Godhead comes to, uh, in, as one in unison with one voice and says, this is he. This is the Savior. This is the Christ, the Son of God. Oh, to hear uh, this, this affirmation of a bond that has been from all of eternity, the bond that the Father has with His Son, that He could look down at His Son and say, You are my Son, my beloved Son. In You 
I am well pleased. If you want to know if Jesus is the Son of God, listen to his dad. You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. The Spirit descends on him, of course symbolizing the anointing of the Holy Spirit on him, uh, fulfilling the promises in Isaiah 61, fulfilling the promises in Isaiah 42, and several other passages where it said that he would be the one marked by the Holy Spirit, anointed with the Holy Spirit. He is the one uniquely suited to be our Savior. This is good. Well, you would imagine from there that he would just kind of storm the castle, right? It's time. Let's go. I've been anointed. I've been publicly declared. Let's roll. Let's go. And, and, and let's take over the joint. But no, the Spirit takes him from there in the Jordan to the wilderness. And it's there that he is for 40 days being tempted by Satan. You say, why in the world did he go there? I've been puzzled with this as I've been studying this passage because if you notice, Mark only spends two verses on this scene. Matthew spends multiple verses on this. Luke spends multiple verses on this. Mark spends two verses on this. Now remember, he's, he's got places to go, people to see. All right, he's, he's, he's got a tight, he's got a tight uh, schedule. He's, he's, he's just rolling, 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 rolling. But I think there's more to this. I think that Mark's point here is different from Matthew and Luke's point. Matthew and Luke want to show you how Jesus overcame temptation. Mark's point here is to show you that Jesus overcame temptation. That's all he wants to tell you. He went into the wilderness for 40 days. Satan decided that he was going to come at him. Satan lost. The end. <laughs> that's what you want to know now why is that good news for us that's good news for us because if we are going to have a savior not only is he uh, is he supposed to be able to deal with our sin and our depravity but he's also going to have to be able to deal with the devil i know it's 2021 and we got folks that are like no i don't, I don't believe all that devil stuff you know we we are we're so enlightened we're progressive and as, as, as modern folks, you know, we don't believe in all those types of things. We realize what's really involved in, in, in the maneuvering of society and things like that. It's QAnon, duh. Uh, you know, those are the things that are, that are dealing with all of this. Well, no, 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 no. In reality, there is an invisible force, not an internet force. There's an even greater internet, uh, uh, force in the world, and it is a supernatural uh, uh, enemy that we call Satan. And he has harassed us and our people and our human race all the way from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. But the Lord said to Adam and Eve and specifically to the serpent in Genesis 3 that a day was coming when I would put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he said to the serpent, this seed of the woman is going to crush your head and you are going to bruise his heel. I think that this here is what we would signify as an invasion. That Jesus is going to the wilderness, going face to face with Satan, and it seems as though the Lord, if he's going to say anything in this passage, he would look at Satan and say, the clock has begun. Your time is up. 
You have harassed my people for way too long now, and it is time for me to take over my creation. The kingdom is about to begin. Mm, this is good news. Y'all are so quiet. This is good news. And so he says in there, he was with the wild animals. Notice, by the way, this is the first active thing that Jesus does. Everything up to this point has happened to Jesus. Now Jesus is actually doing something. And of all things, the first thing that he does in uh, uh, Mark, at least in the active voice, is he's with the wild animals. And you go, why in the world is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because we have prophecies, again, from Isaiah, that in this new creation that Messiah is going to bring, there is going to be unprecedented peace on earth so much so that the lion will be right next to the lamb and and the lamb will be not will not be afraid of the predator or anything like that because the predator will be marked with peace and will no longer be a predator and the prey will no longer be prey there will be unity and peace and 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 security once and for all forever and ever so here jesus is in the desert and he's got wild beasts all around him and he says that's good because i came for you and I'm going to demonstrate with my, my being with you that there is a new age of peace that is beginning now. Peace on earth. No more predator prey. No more abuser abused. The king is here. Uh, there are some of you who are here who have dealt with the harassing of the enemy. You have dealt with the sin in this world. You have been the victim and you have been the prey in this world. Do you now see what Jesus is capable of? Jesus is coming and in his kingdom, he is reversing the curse and he is even upending all of society and all of creation for his glory. Mm, what an invasion. After all of that, Jesus goes in verses 14 and 15, and now he has something to say. And here are the words that he says. He says in verse 14, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you hear it? echoes from that day all the way to this day. The time has come. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. It should sound familiar to you because it's the very message that you have been given to preach. To go to our neighbors and the nations and put them on notice. There's a new sheriff in town. The king has come. <laughs> and now is the time for you to repent while there is still peace. Because a day is coming when he will return and this time of amnesty will be over. And he will take no prisoners on that day. Repent while there's still time and believe in the gospel. Pledge allegiance to King Jesus and watch him transform your life. You say, how do I know he's going to transform my life? Well, that's the rest of the chapter. Look what he does in verse 16 and following. He not only is the, uh, uh, has been confirmed, uh, as we saw from the witness of the prophets, 
But he gives this proclamation of the kingdom, and, and now we see him in action. We see him dominating things. Look what happens. He goes over to the disciples and he tells them, Simon and Andrew, the brothers, fisher, uh, fishermen here in verse 17, he says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And notice, immediately they left their nets and followed him. That's some kind of power. Hey, you, quit your job and follow me. Okay. I mean, what? I mean, we look at that and we go, what, what, kind, of, what kind of authority is this? What kind of power is this? It sounds like a king who's summoning the subjects to his kingdom. That's what it sounds like. Come on board. You come on board, we're going to start a revolution. We're going to draw men and women, boys and girls, into the kingdom, and they will know peace like they've never known. They will know righteousness like they've never believed possible. Come on over here, and they'll know what it's like to be forgiven of their sins. Come on over. Oh, sign me up. Leave their nets, everything, and they go and follow. Zebedee and his brother John. Hey, why don't y'all come over too? At verse 20, immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee, poor guy, in the boat, with the hired servants and followed him. The job is over. We're no longer fishermen. We are now fishers of men. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We want to go and bring more people to the sun. He did that in your life too, didn't he? Come on over and follow. Not only that, but look how, how even more he changes. There's a guy with an unclean spirit in verses 21 to 28, and, and the guy's yelling out in verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And notice Jesus rebukes them. He says, be silent, come out of him. He comes out of him. And they say in verse 27 in the synagogue, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. He has not only domination over the disciples, but he dominates over the demons and then even over diseases. As it says, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. He took her by the hand, lifted her up, the fever left her and she began to serve him. When you meet Jesus, things happen. When you come to know him, you find yourself following him, leaving your life behind and saying, God, I don't know what my life looks like in the future, but I've got to be with Jesus. And you find yourself no longer dominated by the powers of Satan and the demonic or anything. You find yourself being free from your chains to follow Jesus. And you find even the hope of knowing that one day this life with its death and disease and all of that, you find that all of a sudden you have the hope of eternal life because you are following the one who raised from the dead. Oh, this is good news. So what do we do with it? What do we do with this good news? Well, verse 32, the evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed of demons. Jesus was healing them all in verse 34. But then it says in verse 35, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they said, hey, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. We got, more, we got more diseases to cure. We got more demons to cast out. We got, we got work to do. Strike while the iron's hot, Jesus. And Jesus says, it's time for us to go. Verse 38, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. What do we do with this message? What do we do with this good news? We do exactly what Jesus did we go. And we tell as many people as we can about Jesus. Please understand, Jesus could have done all of those healings and all of those exorcisms right then and there on the spot. He could have done that. 
but he didn't. Why? Because other people needed to hear this message. And other people needed to hear this message. And other people needed to hear this message. He had to preach. And so he went to preach. You say, well, then does that mean that these diseases aren't going to be cured? And does it mean that these demons aren't going to be cast out? No, no, no. They will. When Jesus returns. You see, here's what happened. Jesus continued to go on and preach, and he continued to go on and serve in other towns, and he did heal more people, and he did cast out more demons, and so on. But Jesus knew that the way that his kingdom was going to be in, come in full fruition here on earth was if he did more than just that. Jesus had to die. And so he goes from town to town, and he gets the message out, and then he lays down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And in his death, as he came to not to be served, but to serve, he now opens up the floodgates for a kingdom that is coming soon, much, much sooner than you think. And on that day, diseases will be done away with once and for all. On that day, the demonic will be done away with once and for all. On that day, depravity will be done with once and for all. Amen? Until that day, Jesus had to go and preach. And now that he has died and he has risen and he has ascended into heaven, Jesus preaches through us. And we go to the ends of the earth and tell our neighbors and the nations the invasion has begun. Jesus is here. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. We now have the privilege to continue the story until he returns. So let us, with one voice, proclaim the name of the great invader, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are so good. What a message you have given to us to go and tell our neighbors and the nations. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Father, there may be some who are here that do not believe. I pray, Lord, that what we have seen of Jesus would captivate their hearts and transform their lives as they come to faith in him. There are some of us who are wondering what we're supposed to do, where our place is in this world and where our place is in the grand scheme of things. And I pray, Lord, that just as the fishermen did, that they would as well leave all and follow Jesus. And oh, Lord, for the hope that we have, that the depravity that still plagues us, the demons who still harass us, the diseases that still kill us, they are, of, are there but for a moment. The king has come. The good news is here. And the day will come soon when there will be righteousness, justice, and peace forever. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Finish what you've started. We hope in you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. 
For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.